What do you think is the biggest threat to our society today? Come on. Yes. Loss of internet. <laughs> there speaks youth. Thank you. Do you know what life was like with... No, we won't go there. Janice, darling. Selfishness. Okay. Anybody, any other suggestions? Yes. What? Lies. I think you're right. I'm with you on that one. Do you know what? I think the biggest threat to society today is actually the end of truth. We don't have truth anymore. We have narrative. Your narrative, my narrative, somebody else's narrative. There isn't such thing as absolute truth. Lies in, in the public arena. Uh, I'm not going to get into politics, but I'm sure you have a view on that. What is the consequence, though, of there not being truth that we can stand on, truth that we can rely on? I have to say, I think that a lot of that has led to what we see in increasing mental health issues in our nations, especially amongst our young people. So each generation has its own challenges. So for my parents' generation, that was world wars. It seemed like there was one war after another, war and, and nearby us affecting us directly. For my generation, I think that was the Cold War and nuclear annihilation. Maybe I just feel like because we went to a nuclear bunker the other day. A top secret nuclear bunker. But that was what we lived with. That was ever present in our lives. I think for the younger generations, it's about the loss of optimism, the loss of our futures, and the loss of self-worth. And I think so much of that is tied up with knowing the truth. The truth about who we are as Christians brings significance and security and acceptance. Three basic needs that we have as people, as human beings without significance in our lives, without security, knowing that we are safe, knowing that we are, and without acceptance, knowing that we are loved, that leads to so many issues of mental health, lowest self-esteem, lack of purpose, all of those kinds of things. And I think the lack of an absolute truth feeds direct into those things. We need a way to defend ourselves, and we need a way to refute the many truths that we're confronted with. And the, from, you know, from the world, actually from our own thoughts, but also from the enemy, from the devil. So we're part of Still Standing. We're looking at this scripture today from Ephesians 6, 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit. Everybody loves a sword fight. There will be a test. Bonetti's defense against me, huh? Eh? I thought it fitting, considering the rocky terrain. Naturally. You must expect me to attack with Capafera. Naturally. But I find the Tibble cancels out Capafera. Don't you? Unless the enemy has a study, he's a glipper. Which I have. 
Thank you. I've worked hard to become so. I admitted you are better than I am. Then why are you smiling? Because I know something you don't know. And what is that? I am not left-handed. Amazing. I ought to be after 20 years. Oh, there's something I ought to tell you. Tell me. I'm not left-handed either. I know something you don't know. <laughs> Knowledge is power. Sir Francis Bacon said that. Well, it's credited him. Uh, back in 1597, he may have got it from somewhere else. But knowledge of the truth and how you apply that in your lives gives you power to stand against attack. But like our friends up there, it actually needs practice. Okay? So let's just step back a little bit. Let's start with our helmet of salvation. Okay, you biologists out there, you scientists, I know there's a few of you who've been doing exams and so on recently. What do you, what would you say mankind's specialism is? Sorry? Not having one is actually quite a good answer. (laughs) Quite a good answer. I did hear a murmur over this way. Anybody around this way kind of? Brain surgery. (laughs) That's some people's specialism. Any ideas? Communication is very definitely one. Survival, Survival, we're definitely very good at that. What helps us in all of those things? Research, what helps us in all of those things? Sorry? Tools, yes, tools, but it's not our own. Adaptation, all of these are really good, but we need something to be able to be good at all of those. The scientists aren't here. No, they're all very good answers, really. Brain. Brain, we have a far more developed brain, thank you, than any other animal. It's not the biggest, but it is the most intricate and it is the most developed. So, why stick it on the end of a neck? Why stick it out there for everybody to attack? This is pretty stupid design, would you not say? No, Lord, I'm not criticizing your design. But why would you, this brain that you need, is stuck on the end of a neck and it's out there for anything to have a go at? Well, it needs to be close to your eyes and your ears for signal processing to be really fast. It needs to be able to move around to see everything. And all of those adaptability things and so on are all kind of built into that. But it's our brain. It's our thought processes that make us adaptable, that enable us to use different kinds of tools, that enable us to do brain surgery, all these kinds of things. And yet, here it is, vulnerable. The enemy knows that we are vulnerable if we go bareheaded. If we go bareheaded. After your heart, the head is his next target. So I have a a really good, solid dense skull. I don't know if yours is as dense as mine, but there you go. And that kind of protects me against some things. I've had plenty of bumps and scrapes as a youngster. But actually, when weapons come into play, I need something a bit more. I need a helmet. 
Now, I haven't got my helmets here. I've had various helmets over the years, kind of woolly ones to kind of keep my ears warm, big full-face crash helmets when I'm on a motorbike, all those kinds of things. But do you know what? You just need to stick a bucket on your head to kind of help. Because then when somebody comes at you with a bladed weapon or a, sh- or a big heavy stick, you know, it might ring your ears a little bit, but it's not going to cause so much damage. A helmet is a really important part of your armament. And you've probably heard before, we've said this is not new teaching that we're bringing into the church. You've probably heard before teaching and preachers about the helmet of salvation, how that protects your head, in particular your thought life, and how the lies of the enemy can fall flat when you're sure of your salvation. You'll see this is a a Roman-style helmet. It's pretty good. It hasn't got the plumes over the top. The centurions had those. This is just your ordinary uh, foot soldier. But it covers all the top of his head and the sides where his jaw is and all of those kinds of things. And it covers your whole head because it's not just protection from some things, from lies of the enemy, but it's also protection from stray thoughts inside, the habitual thinking that we can easily fall into. So it's a helmet of salvation. Here's a scripture for you. If you know the truth of who you are in Christ, you can be set free from worry. In your mind, in your thought life, are there things that need to be changed and replaced with new kind of thoughts? That's the practice part. So in old ways of thinking, Paul says to the Romans that we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Romans 12, 2. You know, sometimes there are things that, that kind of keep us in a rut. Do, you, do your thoughts sometimes go round like this on train tracks, and you can't seem to get out of them? And, that's where, and that, that, that isn't just going round and round, but it also spirals down and pulls you down with it. And you get stuck in a rut. You know, stuck in the rut of those, of those lies of, of, of I'm useless or I'll never be able to, whatever that is, or even the biggest one that the enemy will bring against you. God you know, God can't possibly love me because of who I am, because of what I've done. Yes, he can. That is what Jesus came to say. Yes, he can. What do we need to do in those situations? We need some railway tracks, some, some railway switches. We need to be able to change track, get onto a new track. And those new tracks we need to get on is that we need to replace those lies from the enemy, those thoughts that we've had for so long maybe that keep going round and round and dragging us down. We need to replace those with new thoughts by the renewing of our mind. We need to replace those with things that God says about us, not things which the enemy says about us or which the world says about us or misunderstandings that we have in our own heart. Jesus said this, if you hold to my teachings, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. So we need to know truth in our lives. We need to know that in our minds, and we need to understand what it is that God says about us, not what the world says. We need to know the real truth. And it's about knowing Jesus, knowing his teaching and holding to them. So there's a practice that we have to do there. 
There's a practice. We have to decide we're going to hold to what Jesus says. And so when those words come, then we need to come against them with other words, words of truth, words that God says. I've got some words here, actually. Quite a few of us have done the Freedom in Christ course, haven't we? And you might think, well, I don't know where to look in the Bible for words to counter what the enemy is saying, or words that come to me from the world about there being no hope or whatever, or words that are going round in my head that have been rehearsed so often I can't break out of them. I don't know where to go in the Bible. Well, in Freedom of Christ, we kind of help you out a little bit. And um, first of all, there's 20 scriptures, just simple, straightforward ones, to help us understand who we are in Christ. If we're going to stand anywhere, we need to stand in Christ. Salvation brings us into the family of God, and that is where we stand. And there's a whole load of scriptures here about how I am significant. You know, Jesus says that we're the salt and light of the earth. Jesus said that we've been chosen and appointed by God to bear truth, bear fruit. In Ephesians, Paul says, I may approach God with freedom and confidence. That's just some. I'm secure. In Romans, Paul says, I'm free forever from condemnation. All kinds of things. I'm accepted, Jesus says in John 1.12, that I am God's child. There's 20 of those there on that one about who I am in Christ. Then we move on to who I can be and what I can be and what God says I can be. Here's 20 more scriptures. 20 cans of success, the I cans. How many times has the enemy tried to get you to say, I can't? Or how many times has the world tried to say to you, you can't? Why should I lack faith to fulfill my calling knowing that God has allotted to me a measure of faith? And the base scripture for that is Romans 12, 3. Why should I feel worthless? Have you ever felt worthless? Why should I feel worthless when Christ became sin on my behalf, that I might become the righteousness of God in him? 2 Corinthians 5, 21. 20 cans of who you are and what you can be through Christ. And then this whole idea of acceptance Would God really accept me? Would I accept me, knowing the life I've lived before? The things that that the enemy would want to remind me that I've done. God's not interested in me. The world says maybe that if there is a God, he's up there in the sky somewhere. He's got a big white beard and a stick, and he's just ready to kind of hit you over the head with that. And so we talk about truths that the Bible has. I renounce the lie that my Father God is distant and uninterested in me. He's not. He's intimate and involved in my life. Read Psalms 139. God is not impatient or angry or never satisfied with what I do. He is patient and slow to anger and delights in those who put their hope in his unfailing love. A whole series of scriptures for that. These are ways which we can use scripture and truth to derail what the enemy or what the world is telling us and start to get our minds transformed by truth. So that's the helmet of salvation. We can be protected. Our thoughts can be protected. We can counter lies by knowing who we are. Do you know that you're saved this morning? Do you know that Jesus is Lord in your life? Do you know deep inside that God is for you? 
And if God is for you, who can possibly be against you? Do you know those things? Can you stand in that security with that salvation covering your head? But the scripture also talks about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. There's all kinds of forms of sword, and they are used in different kinds of ways. You've probably seen the big broadswords that knights use, and this is kind of heavy, smashing kind of actions. There's the long sword, and lots of kind of swishing and, and cutting. Still quite heavy. That can cut through metal armor, maybe. Then there's the cutting kind of swords, the kind of scimitars and, and, and the, the katana that you've seen in, in probably in just about any Japanese or, or oriental type film where they fly and swish and all these kinds of things. And that's for slicing. But then there's the Roman sword, the short sword, which is the kind of sword Paul would have been used to when he's writing these things. This is for stabbing and finding weak spots. It's for close quarters fighting. So it's around about 50 centimeters long. You can see the parallel sides pretty much there. It comes to a point at the front. That big lump at the back end, what's that for? Does anybody know? Counterbalance. Exactly. It's balanced so that actually it just sits on the end of your finger and balanced. That is for intricate, careful work. Not for big bashing and hacking, but for intricate work. It's a detailed detailed thing. And so, yes, you could do this kind of parrying and messing about, but its main thing is for stabbing. And that was stressed as the main attack that Romans should use because it could punch through armor. And that's the way they would defeat an enemy. Sword is using the word of truth when the enemy's lies come against you. And this word, this sword, is very much like scripture. When Paul writes to the Hebrews, he talks about the word being, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. He brings these two things together, the idea of how you would use a sword, that it's an intricate, careful, precise, almost surgical thing, but it's also living and active. We have to live this word. We can't just kind of spout it and hope something is going to happen. We have to live this word. And that's all about practice and using the word in our lives. Jesus did this. Okay? Jesus did this. We're going to have a demonstration of how Jesus used the word like a sword. I have my able assistant who's going to come and help me. And we have two short swords. I think you wanted the red one, didn't you, Paul? Okay, are we ready for this? Are we going to get this right? <laughs> On guard. On guard. If you are the son of God, command these stones into bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the very word of God. Thou shalt not test the Lord thy God. Worship me, and you shall have everything. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God alone. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> And he can flee. We're every bit of skilled, aren't we? 
every bit as skilled as those people you saw on that film earlier, I think. And to link all that together, my admission is that actually the only... I did do some fencing when I was a lad, and the only match I won in open competitions was in the county opens, was against a lefty. <laughs> Uh, and so I knew something he didn't know because the week before, maybe she knew our instructor had shown us exactly how to defeat a left-handed swordsman. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Jesus was actually doing what he told us to do. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's from James 4.7. Again, another bit of the word you can use. Was Jesus submitted to God? He just spent 40 days in the desert submitting himself before God, let alone who he was let alone all the other aspects of his life, he'd spent 40 days without food, submitting to God's purpose in his life. Did he resist the devil? He did. And how did he do it? With just one book of the Bible. Do you know there's another 65 books of the Bible you could use? And, and you can find scriptures, we have scriptures of those, that you can use to resist the devil. Of course he did. And what happened? He ran away. He came back and thought he'd come back at another more opportune time. Each time, Jesus defeats the enemy's attack with the truth. And the enemy likes to try and twist those truths. If you read that scripture through, you'll see. But each time, Jesus defeats the enemy's attack with the truth. But he didn't finish him off. If you'd watched the rest of that, and I dare say you should go and watch the Princess Bride film anyway, because it's absolutely brilliant. But if you watch the rest of that fight, you'll see that actually nobody gets killed at the end, but one of the characters gets rendered unconscious, and and then off they go. Jesus doesn't defeat the enemy at that point in the sense of delivering the killer blow. The killer blow is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That perfect sacrifice which the enemy can't do anything about. And that is why salvation is key. That is why salvation is our helmet. Knowing we are saved through Christ's sacrifice. Knowing that we are saved because he has made a way for us to to just, you know, renounce all of our sin. Renounce all of those things and come to God fresh and clean. The cross is the killer blow for the enemy. He doesn't know it. He's still struggling. But that is why we don't see the enemy defeated in that scene. But later on. And so, your job, when you're standing with your helmet on and your sword raised, your job is not to defeat the enemy. Your job is to stand firm. Jesus has defeated the enemy through the cross. Your job is to still stand. Using scripture, you know, using scripture to defeat his lies, both in terms of your thought life, but also in terms of your active life as well. And so together, 
with truth in your head and truth in your hands, you have all of the defensive armor that you need to resist and defend against those attacks. We said that we all know the truth and the truth will set you free. I've talked about the Freedom in Christ course because I think that's really important because it takes us on a journey of discovering the truth in Scripture about who we are. It uses the truth as a helmet, renewing of your mind, and as a sword, defeating the enemy's lies and enabling you to stand firm. And we've talked about it. We've actually done this Freedom in Christ course earlier this year. We will do it again. I say it's highly recommended for any Christian however long you've been saved, enabling you to stand firm. And even redoing the course every now and again. Whoever's been involved in leading the course, there's a few of us here, Claire's away, have you found it good to do it a second and a third time? Yes. Because we need to practice. We need to keep doing that sword drill. And so it's important then that standing firm isn't about thinking, well, I read the Bible once, that's okay. (laughs) Standing firm isn't about thinking, well, do you know what, I know I'm saved. It's about acting out that you know you're saved and telling the enemy, telling the world, telling yourself that you are saved. Having the truth in your hands. How many years, here's the question, how many years had Inigo Montoya, and I'm sorry, um, you're, you're banned from answering this because you probably know it anyway. How many years had he practiced in the film clip? 20. 20 years he'd practiced. Did he ever stop practicing? No. Every, every person he came against was another further test. And so practicing with the word of God is really important. And by that I mean reading it finding out what it means, digesting it, applying it to your lives. That's why we do word application notes for our small groups, is so that we can apply those things into our lives. The Freedom in Christ course is the most applied Bible study course you will ever do, I feel. And we've just looked at all those scriptures there. There's many, many more. So what am I asking you to do as part of this teaching? I'm asking you to put on your helmet. Put on that helmet of salvation. Know who you are in Christ. Do you know inside that you are saved? Janice and the band, you should probably start to come up soon, if that's okay. Sorry, Mike and the band. Put on your helmet. You may pray that in the morning, but how do you actively do that? Do you then read some scripture? Do you then go looking for resources that can help you with your particular challenge at that time to help derail those thoughts and put them on the right track? Take up your sword. Read the Bible regularly. If you don't read the Bible and study it, how can you wield it? You know, I I got to bronze standard in fencing, which is about the lowest standard you can get. Um, But I got somewhere with it, and it happened because I practiced. And and it happened because I studied, and I was able to defeat that left-handed chap, not because he was half my size at all, but because I had been shown and told how to defeat a left-handed swordsman. If you don't study the Bible, 
if you don't read it, if you don't try and work out what it means, if you don't apply it into your life, how can you possibly wield that sword? Janice uh, used to take kids through what she called sword drill, helping them to learn scripture um, in the various classes. And I know we probably still do that today. We're going to sing a song in a moment, which is which has the line in it, who the sun sets free is free indeed, and reminds us that we're chosen and not forsaken. But I want to just rewind before we do that to a song we sang during the main worship, in which the refrain was, you make me brave. I just felt God saying that at this day, at this time, this morning, he's asking somebody to be brave. Maybe he's challenging you to be brave. Is this your day when you take a brave and a bold step? Maybe this is your day today when you decide that you are going to start to take a stand for Jesus. That you are going to declare that he is your salvation. Come what may, whatever the world, whatever the enemy will bring against you, whatever thoughts are challenging you in your life, You're going to make a stand. You're going to start that journey today. It may be that actually you're struggling and you're facing something really difficult and you need to find a breakthrough in that thing, whatever it might be. Are you going to be brave? Are you going to ask for somebody to pray with you and admit to somebody else the struggle that you're having? There's no shame in that. We've all been there. Some of us are here now thinking, I know what my struggle is. But I'm determined to stand, knowing that God is my Savior. I'm determined to pull on that armor every day and know that I'm accepted by God. Know that I have a purpose in my life. Know that I'm significant because of what Jesus has done for me, for no other reason. Just as we start to sing, if you want to make that acknowledgement, then please do. I just want to pray right now. And then we'll go into the worship. And if you want prayer, come to the front, please. And any, any of our small group leaders, uh, any of our leadership team, any of our trustees, if you want to come to the front and help pray, that would be fine. Uh, others who, who are respected in the church, Taya, you could come and pray. Um, that would be fine. You know who you are. Um, Ros, you'd be very welcome to come if you're needed. So if you have something to stand up and be brave about, just pray this through quietly with me. Father God, I thank you that you are my Savior. Through your Son, Jesus, you have changed my life. I acknowledge you, Lord Jesus, as my Lord and my King. Come now, Lord. Fill me with your strength. Let me know you in my life as I turn away from all of those things which would pull you down from all of those things which I think or which I have done, which are not in your will. But I turn to you, Lord Jesus, this morning to follow you and to stand in your strength. And I declare today that you, Lord, will be my rock, that I will stand on you from this time forward, that you are my friend and you will never forsake me or let me down. I know, because Jesus, you've set me free. I am free indeed. Amen.
please do come while we're singing if you want some prayer, if you want to share anything today.